Well, good morning. So like I said, we're actually finishing our series this morning in the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 149 and Psalm 150. We're going to actually tackle two Psalms this morning. And while you're flipping there, I want to tell you about a missionary. His name was Charles Thomas Studd, also known as C.T. Studd. Uh, He was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And when he was young, he was actually a very successful cricket player. I don't know if you've ever seen people play cricket before. I don't know anything about it, but C.T. Studd was good at it. He went to the College of Cambridge and was their star player. And actually, while he was at Cambridge, he was invited to play for England's national team uh, on their cricket team. He was on track to be one of the world's greatest cricket players until a day happened. On one day, uh, the grace of the Lord just came upon C.T. Studd and saved him. And from that day forward, it just radically changed how he viewed his life. Like I was saying, he was on track to be this successful cricket player. But when he became a Christian, he said this. He said, right then and there, joy and peace came into my soul. I knew then what it was to be born again. And the Bible had been so dry to me before, became everything. C.T. Studd became so committed to his faith that he gave up his successful career to be a cricket player and felt called to go into ministry. And when he told his friends and family that he's leaving this career to be a cricket player, to be a missionary, I mean, he just received so much opposition from his friends and his family and his loved ones. And, and he continues, and he says this. This was the response to them. He says, I know that cricket would not last and honor would not last. And nothing in this world will not last. But it is worthwhile living for the world to come. C.T. Studd knew early on in his faith that this world is temporary. The things in this world was temporary. And that there was something eternal to be living for. And that was the kingdom of God. That's why he felt this urge to become a missionary. So that's exactly what he did. He actually moved to China and actually in China he'll meet his wife Priscilla and they'll do faithful ministry there in China for 10 years. Well due to some health issues they went back to England and then they started to raise a family. They had four kids and then C.T. Studd felt called to go back, to go back into the mission field. So one day he kissed his wife goodbye, kissed his kids goodbye and little did he know was that that would be his last kiss to his family. He would go to Central Africa, faithfully serve the Lord, and then soon pass away there in Central Africa. In one of his last letters home to his wife, he wrote this. As I believe I am now nearing my departure from this world, I have but a few things to rejoice in. They are these. One, God called me to China and I went in spite of the opposition from my loved ones. Two, I joyfully acted as Christ told me to act. And three, that I gave up my life for the work of God. There's really two questions that has puzzled philosophers, puzzled kings, has puzzled 
the everyday person since the beginning of time. And the two questions are these. How did we get here and what is my purpose? How did we get here and what is my purpose? And the reality is how we answer those two questions will radically change our lives. If we answer the question, how do we get here by some, if our answer is just some big bang and we just got to, you know, exist, or did we get here by a God who divinely orchestrated it all? There's two different responses there. Is the purpose of my life just to get to start to finish, have fun along the way, or is there a true meaning and value to my existence? C.T. Studd knew how he got here and what his purpose was. The man who had everything going for him, the money, the fame, the fortune, in an instant gave it up for his creator and for his savior. He knew that he was here on earth because of the mighty, handy, and gracious work of God and that his life purpose was to bring praise, honor, and glory to him. So church, how do you answer those two questions? How do you answer the question, how you got here? And how do you answer the question, what is the purpose of your life? Because we really feel this tension that like, we're always seeking this, this purpose, right? That we're always chasing for a purposeful life. Sometimes we think the purpose of life is to get that promotion. And we work day after day for the promotion, The purpose of life is to find the the dream boy or the dream girl. Like that's the purpose of life. Purpose of life is just, you name it. But soon after we chase these things, we quickly find out, we're like, well, what's next? What's the next purpose for me? Well, thankfully for our psalm this morning, It's going to zero in on those two questions and actually give us an answer. Like, how did we get here? And what is the purpose of our life? The purpose of our creation? As we look through Psalm 149, 150, and I'll just go ahead and tell you now that the purpose of why we are here is to bring praise to God. So with that being said, our main point will be this. When we know the true God... We will praise him. When we know the true God, we will praise him. So if you are willing and able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as we read God's word, as we read Psalm 149 and 150. Will you stand with me this morning? And we stand out of reverence and respect for God's word because we want to hear from the Lord this morning. Starting in 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is the honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. 
Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and heart. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Church, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say, praise be to God. You may be seated. So this summer, we've been really trying to answer the question how you and I can find joy in a really joyless world. <laughs> and time and time again, as we went through our psalm, we've seen that joy is founded in the Lord. So as we've been going through our sermon series, now we're at Psalm 149 and 150. They're really going to answer the question. Like we've really seen, this is who God is. This is how we can have joy in the Lord. And this is why we should have joy in the Lord. And now we're getting to Psalm 149 and 150 and it's saying, now what do we do with it? What should our response be to this God? And really the answer to that question is found in these two Psalms. There's one word that appears 17 times in 16 verses and that's that word praise. That's how we should respond. We should respond to this God in praise. You may be here this morning, well, if that's what we were created to do, if that was my purpose was to praise God, well, it just sounds like God is some kind of egomaniac. God just shouting like, praise me, praise me, praise me, like he's a, a diva of some kind. I think John Piper says it best. He says this, God delights in being God. The very nature of who God is, is that he is worthy and deserving of being praised. He delights in himself. He delights in being God. God is the only one that is truly good. God is the only one that is truly holy and righteous. So we're going to praise something, church. We're going to praise our wife. We could praise our work. We can praise money. We can praise the highs of life. We're going to praise something. So as we see in our psalm, why not praise the one thing that is truly righteous, holy, and good? The one who has always been, which is this God that we're looking at this morning. So in looking at this idea of praise, we're actually going to kind of unravel it like a mystery. There's, there's four questions that we're going to look at of who should we be praising and, and why and where and how. So let's do that this morning. Point one, the who of praise. The who of praise. There's this false truth, there's false lie or statement in, in culture that says that God is just this distant God. That there's no way to really know who God is. That God has created everything and then he left it. That he, he created it and forget. Well, actually what we'll see in our two Psalms and really throughout the whole scripture is that we can really intimately know who this God is that is worthy to be praised. And between our two Psalms, we'll see a few ways that we can know who this God is. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but here's a few reasons. The first thing that we see who is this God that is worthy to be praised is first, he is Lord. 
Look at Psalm 149.1 and Psalm 151. They're both the exact same verse. It says, praise the Lord. So the psalmist right from the start is saying, all right, this is who we're praising, is the Lord. And who is the Lord? The Lord is the one who has always been. The Lord is the one who will always be. The Lord that the psalmist is referring to is the same Lord that parted the Red Seas in the book of Exodus. This is the same Lord who took an army of 300 men and defeated an army of 15,000 in the book of Judges. This is the same Lord that took a, a little shepherd boy named David and took down one of the greatest Philistine warriors, Goliath, with a sling and a rock. This is the Lord who has been faithful time and time and time again. So if we're going to praise anyone, praise the one who has always been there, who has always been faithful. So, so that's who God is. He's, he's the Lord. Second thing that we see about who we should be praising and who this God is, is he is maker. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 149. But let Israel be glad in his maker. So as we look at Genesis chapter 1 and chapters 2, we see that God created all things good. Created it perfectly. And what that means, God being maker, that means God is in, in control over his creation. That means he is sovereign. I like to think of it this way. A mechanic has authority over the car, right? The mechanic can do whatever it pleases with the car. It can tear it down or it can build it up. The watchmaker has authority over the watch. The watchmaker can design the watch to go counterclockwise if he wants. It's his creation, it's his authority. The baker can design an upside down cake with no icing. Do you see the the, the common theme? The maker has authority over their creation. Same with God. God has authority over his creation. So, so why is that important for us? And, and why does that push us to praise him as maker? Well, that means this God that we're worshiping that deserves to be praised, he's the one that can move mountains. This God is the one who can touch the depths of the sea. I love how 1 Peter 4.19 says it. It says, therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Those who are God's children, he is a faithful creator to them. So as we look at the big picture of God being maker, we see that God is powerful because he created everything. And then we see that he is faithful. And I just love that because if God is faithful to his creation, that means he's faithful to keep the moon in orbit, the sun in orbit, to keep the stars in the sky. He is faithful to the tiniest cells and atoms of life. He is faithful to keep the birds flying and the flowers growing in the field. If he is faithful to all of that, that means he will be faithful to you. You are his most intimate creation, the only thing in all of creation that is created in his image. He is a faithful creator. And the third thing that we see about who this God is, is that he is king. He's king. Psalm 149 verses 2 and 3 says, Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. 
So a king is someone who has a kingdom that deserves to be praised and worshiped, right? There's bad kings throughout history. There's been good kings throughout history, but kings, they want to be elevated. They want it to be praised. And that is who our God is. Our God is a king. But this idea of God being king is is really difficult for us. The reason why is because we we are sinners. In our depravity, we have this desire to be our own little kings or queens of our lives. If you ever wonder why you have such a desire to control every outcome, it's because you want to be your own king or queen. You want to know why you want to have the approval of everyone else and be liked and loved and cared for. And the reason why you want to blast our accolades and our achievements is because you want to be a little king or queen. The very nature of who we are as fallen people, the very reason why sin is in the world is that we want to be our own little God, our own little king or queen. But the reality is there's only one true king and that is King Jesus. There's only one true king who's ruling and reigning on a throne and that is King Jesus. But this king is different than any other kind of king. This is the king who left the glories of heaven to come to this broken world This is the king that healed the sick. This is the king who fed the hungry. This is the king who gave up his life so that we can have life. This was a king who was not about himself, but about you and me, about his father. And on along the same lines about who this God is, in the fourth characteristics that he is savior. Look at Psalm 149.4. It says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people, for he adores the humble with salvation. And that's just so comforting, church. I just love that language, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. When, when King Jesus left heaven to come here on earth, he was hung upon the cursed tree, upon the cross, died for you and me. So that we can be saved when we put our faith in him. And he takes pleasure in doing so. I just love that. He delights in it. He wants us to be his children. He wants to save us. So who is this God that we should praise? Well, he is Lord. He will always be. He's the maker, the one who is creating and sustaining all things. He's the king, the one who is worthy to be praised and the one who's on the throne. He's our savior. That is who this God that we're called to praise. So the second question is where? And our second point, the where of praise. Sounds like with a God this magnificent and elegant and just amazing that there must be a a special where to praise. His praise. If you look around the world, you actually see many different religions that will, that will have to wear certain outfits to worship their God. They'll have to face certain direction to pray to their God. They have to have beautiful gold and temples to be able to worship their God. But we see something a lot different about our Lord, about where we worship him. And actually what we'll see about this God is that he's inviting praise from all places. Look at Psalm 150, verse 1. 
says, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him, his mighty heavens. So, so right here we see two things. One, praise God in his sanctuary. This is some Old Testament language. Uh, to praise God in the Old Testament, they all had to go to the tabernacle or to the temple. But really to boil it down, it was somewhere here on earth. Because on the flip side, you see, praise him in his mighty heavens. So right now, God has a host of angels that's praising his name. So as we think about that, right now there's praise coming from here on earth and praise coming from heaven. And these two are coming together in one beautiful symphony of praising God. So the question about where we praise God, it's not so much about a specific place, but it's about coming together in a heart of praise where the heavens and the earth comes together. And really Psalm 149 verse 1 takes this a step further, saying, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise, and here it is, in the assembly of the godly. So right now we see a little glimpse of that, the assembly of the godly. Here at Sunbury City Church, we are an assembly And what's really cool about this idea of praising God together in an assembly is that that's what unites us. I mean, here in our church, there's so many of us, we're from different places, different backgrounds. We have different views on many different things. But at the end of the day, what unites us is our praising of the Lord that can bring unity to us here at Sunbury City Church. That's why we can have unity with our brothers and sisters around the world because we're all pointing to the same God with the same praise on our lips. And we really see that come to full fruition in the New Testament. Because when Jesus died on the cross, something amazing happens. Before Jesus, there was the temple and there was a veil that separated us from being able to be with God, to be able to praise God. But when he died on the cross, something amazing happened for us. The veil was torn from the top down. And what that means is that no longer do we need a high priest to go and worship and praise God. But through Christ, we now can worship God wherever and whenever. So that means we don't need some special person to pray on our behalf. We don't need some special outfit to pray or we don't have to burn special incense. No, we get to praise God whenever and wherever, whether we're here on this earth or wherever we're in heaven. So that's where we praise God. We can praise God at work. We can praise God around the dinner table. We can praise God in our neighborhood because of the work of Christ. The third question of praise. So we we looked at who this God is of worthy of praise and where do we worship this God? and, And now why? Why praise him? The why of praise. Psalm 152 says this. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. The reason why we praise God, church, is because God is mighty and he is great. Martin Luther says this, We must make a great difference between God's word and the word of man. A man's word is a little sound that flies into the air and soon vanishes. 
But the word of God is greater than heaven and earth, greater than death and hell, for it forms part of the power of God and endures everlastingly. There's only one thing that will always be, that will always endure everlastingly, that is God and his divine word. It shows you how mighty and how powerful he is to always be. And I just love how these two Psalms, they're, they're playing off of each other. There in Psalm 150, we see that, all right, we see God is mighty and that God is great. And then Psalm 149 is actually specifically going to tell us how this God is mighty and great. So the first thing that Psalm 149 shows us is that this God of why we should praise him is that he is the giver of rest, giver of rest. Look at Psalm 149, verse five. It says, let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. So when I was younger, I had a terrible fear of the dark. I I, I don't know why, I just did. And really the only way that I had comfort at night is if I had at least 3,000 stuffed animals on my bed, a nightlight, and made sure that there was nothing in my closet or under my bed. Right, that was my mom's job. She tucked me in, you too. <laughs> my mom would tuck me in and she would check under the bed, open the closet door and she, she locked the door. And it wasn't until my mom did all those things until I was able to sleep at night, until I was able to rest. My mom was my protector. She was the one who brought comfort to me. The same idea is what we're seeing here in verse five. This idea that while we're lying in bed, that we can be comforted and have joy in the Lord. See, at the time of this psalm, Israel was not the most favorite nation to be existed. There was other nations and countries that wanted to rise up against them, to to capture them and to, to take over their land. And one of the best times to attack is when your enemy is not awake. It's like when they're sleeping. So I can see the angst there of lying in bed wondering, will we be attacked tonight or tomorrow? But here the psalm is reminding us, no, we get to sing for joy while we lie in our beds. The Lord is protecting us. He's comforting us. He's given us rest. And at the end of the day, man may take our lives, but they will never take our soul. So I don't know about you, but maybe you go to bed every night with angst. Like, you know, maybe something's happening tomorrow or this week. And the idea of falling asleep just brings anxiety and worry and fear. Maybe just have a really hard time resting at night. Uh, First, I would say uh, it's always helpful to to see a medical professional, you know, get a sleep test. Uh, Those are good things. But also on the flip side, sleep is a spiritual battle. Sleep is a spiritual warfare. If Satan can cause you not to sleep, I mean, think about how easy it is for you to grumble and complain. Complain about the Lord, complain about your wife, complain about your husband, right? Like sleep is extremely important for us as humans. So one thing as I see in this Psalm that I would encourage all of us to do is that pray. Let God know your anxieties and your fears and worries while you lay in bed. Sing joyful songs and praises to the Lord while you're lying there in bed. God is inviting you to rest. He wants you to rest. He, is, he created rest. The seventh day of creation, God rested. Not that he needed it, but to show us that we need it. 
And it's good for us to rest, church. So do you pray at night and plead with him for your rest? The second mighty work to show us why we should praise God is he's the giver of justice. Psalm 149 verses six through nine says this, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment, the judgment written. So this idea of God is the giver of rest and the giver of justice, they play hand in hand with each other. Because at night, God is protecting, he's giving rest. But when we wake up in the morning, he's not just feeding us to the wolves, but notice what God does. He prepares us for the battle. He's preparing us for our day. He prepares us by when we wake up, there's praise on our throats, praise on our lips. So as we go out, as we engage people, allow the the praise of God to be the things to come out of your mouth. And you get this image that that God gives us this double-edged sword to protect us, to, to protect us from the enemy. This is the work of the Lord that he does. Because notice in verse seven, it says to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. So God will bring justice to those who are opposing him and who rebel against him. So if you are a follower of Christ this morning and you feel that, if you feel that weight and that tension of like people just rising up against you, going against you because of your Christian faith, just know that God will execute his justice among the nations and people. And really God takes it a step further. Verse eight, he will bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. If anyone in this world thinks that they're above vengeance or justice, it will be the the kings and the nobles of society. And God's saying not even the kings will be able to escape this justice. Not even the kings or the nobles will be able to escape this vengeance, right? Got this idea of chains around their ankles and fetters of iron, which is just chains around their ankles, right? There's just nowhere for them to go that they will receive their justice, And really what's happening, this idea of God being the giver of justice and here in our psalm, it's actually painting the final picture, the final victory of our Lord. There'll be a day that Christ will return and then that will be the final day where the final vengeance and justice will be executed. Revelations 19, 15 through 16 says this, from his mouth comes a sharp sword which, with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe, on his thigh, he will have his name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Christ, his first coming was that of a servant, of that of a, of a savior, And now the second coming, we see he's coming back as a warrior, as that to seek his justice from the rebellion of his creation. So till that day, church, that could happen in our lifetime. It could happen, we don't know when, but till that day, do as what Paul calls us to do in Ephesians 6, to put on the whole armor of God. 
put on the helmet of salvation, pick up the word of the spirit or pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and faithfully daily run your race, persevere day after day with the praise of God on your lips. And the third thing that we see this mighty God do is that he's actually the giver of honor. Look at verse nine. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. This idea that we can be called godly ones first should be earth shattering for us. Church, we're anything but godly. As we live here on this earth, whether if we consciously or unconsciously realize it, like we, we are messed up. We're messy people. But when we put our faith in Christ, like going back to who this God is, our Savior, put our faith in this Savior, repent of our sins, what we see happen is that not, not that God's going to execute justice or vengeance upon us, but yet he gives us honor. The compare and contrast there for those who are his and not his are just black and white. They're completely different. If you are God's child, he is giving you honor. I'm reminded of Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, where it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There's this idea that we can out God's love or that we can out God's grace. But God is telling us something completely different. God's love and God's grace is so deep, so vast, so uh, overfilling, church, that although we are fallen, although we are broken, that when we put our faith in Christ, he gives us honor, he gives us his love. Such an amazing God, church. And our fourth question of this idea of praise and who we should be praising is this, the how, the how of praise. So we've, we've seen who this God is, where we worship and why we should worship him and praise him, but how? How do we bring all of this together? And to go ahead and give you a little secret, There's not one specific way of how we worship this God. And actually the way that we worship this God and to answer how we worship this God, we need to go back to the first two questions we started with. What is our purpose and how we got here? Knowing the answer to those questions will show us how we worship and how we praise God. God's word has a plethora of verses showing us the answer to those two questions. I'm just gonna read three for us this morning. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Psalm 66, 4. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All throughout scripture, we see that all things were created by God and the purpose of creation was for God. 
that all things point to his glory nature, his holy nature, and his good nature of who he is as God. Again, as what Piper tells us, God delights in being God. That's why we exist and that is our purpose so that we are to worship him. That doesn't mean God is dependent on us. It means that he is worthy of our praise. So as we think about our summer in the Psalm series, we've been looking at how you and I can find joy in the Lord. Our joy in the Lord is doing the very thing that we were created to do. Praise him. Doesn't matter whatever season of life you're going through. You can find out you have cancer. You can find out a loved one has passed away. You could could lost the promotion. Doesn't matter whatever season you're in. If you faithfully live out your purpose of why God created you to praise him, there is joy there. I mean, the psalm does give us tangible ways. Psalm 149 verse 1 says, sing to the Lord. Psalm 150 verses 3 through 6, it says, you know, play the trumpet, a lute, a harp, a tambourine, dance even. Play with strings, a pipe, cymbals. Whatever has breath, praise the Lord. So it's not about filling our calendar like 12 o'clock is lunch and then 1.30 is praising God. No, it's about us realizing at the heart of who we are as created beings is that we are actually the instruments of worship. The instruments of worship is not the trumpet, it's not the drum, it's not the tambourine, it's not the dancing, it's not the singing. These are, those are aids to worship, but we are the instruments of worship. We are the instruments to praising God. So when we begin to realize that God created us to be an instrument to glorify him, that radically changes how we live our lives. Because that means while you're at work, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're sitting with your family, when you're disciplining your kids, you're doing everything to praise God. And just to recap our Psalms, if you're in a season where you need deliverance and wonder, can you praise God? Psalm 140, you're in a season of distress and you need to know that you can still praise God. Psalm 141, you need healing today and need to know that you can praise God. Psalm 147, you need to be reminded of who our amazing God is and praise him. Psalm 148, Psalm after psalm after psalm reveals how good and glorious our God is and answers the question, what is our purpose? To praise him. Culture's trying to do everything it can to convince you that is not your purpose. That that is not why you're here. But again, through God's divine word that has always been says something different. The mystery of what the purpose of life is, is no longer a mystery, church. It's right here in God's word. Again, to praise him. Church, it's time to be honest with ourselves. To be honest with where we're at. And answer the question, who has your praise? Who has your praise? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the truths that we see in your word. Father, we are reminded 
as we saw this morning, of who you are. God, you are Lord. You're the maker. You're the king. You're our savior. We were reminded that we praise you wherever and whenever, whether if we're here on this earth or in heaven. We were reminded of how mighty you are, how great you are. And Father, as we saw that we are the very instruments that you created in your image to bring glory to you. Father, I pray for all of us this morning that we will have a heart of praise. That our lips will have words of praise. That our minds will be thinking of your praise. Be with us this morning as we continue our time. Amen.